This is a podcast where I talk to people with disabilities to hear their stories. I wouldn't expect anyone to know what life is like for someone who can't walk, can't see, or can't hear. But we have a responsibility to learn and grow throughout our lives. And this podcast is meant to help to see what life is like for someone on the other side. Welcome to Ability. In this episode, I talk to writer and host of The Nerdy Bird. On this episode with Jill Pantozzi. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. <laughs> uh, so I know that you're uh, in charge of Nerdy Bird and you've been working really hard on that. Can you tell me a little bit about it? Sure. Uh, so... Uh, my name's Jill Pantosi. Uh, I used to go online as the Nerdy Bird. That was my, you know, name instead of my my own name that I went by. Uh, and I started this blog, The Nerdy Bird, back in 2008. And uh, just kind of started it to get back into writing. I went to school for journalism and uh, had been away doing radio for a few years. And so I came back to, to get my writing skills back up to par and decided to start a blog that was about something I really enjoyed which at the time was all things nerdy. Uh, I've been a geek since, I always say, since birth. Uh, So that was a natural progression for me. And uh, I've been doing it ever since. I sort of took some time off. Uh, I worked with Mary Sue for uh, for many years and then came back in 2015 and relaunched The Nerdy Bird with uh, Patreon support and have been doing that uh, steadily ever since. I find Patreon a really great service. It allows people to at least try living out a passion in a way. It's a really great source of revenue. I really like it. Yeah, it's uh, it's been an interesting experiment for me as a blogger because it, you know, it's really good for artists and musicians who are creating a specific um, product that people can support. Um, whereas I, I know myself and a few other bloggers are sort of still trying to figure out how to work it best for ourselves and our fans because, you know, we're producing content daily that's going out to everybody and we don't want to limit it, you know. Um, and so it's not so much as offering uh, incentives for people because the incentive is the, you know, the writing that we're doing on a daily basis. Um, but it's a really nice thing to have and a really nice um, thing to see people supporting, you know, me like that. It's really great. I believe you use a wheelchair. Is that correct? Can you tell me a little bit about your disability as if I know nothing? Sure. Uh, So I was diagnosed when I was two and a half with muscular dystrophy, specifically spinal muscular atrophy. Uh, My parents had noticed a tremor in my hand, like when I was eating and doing other things at home, and so they took me to the doctor. Um, I'm not sure how long of a process it was, but uh, eventually they did diagnose me, and uh, we started a relationship with the Muscular Dystrophy Association, who were very helpful for my folks who had no, you know, idea of this this sort of thing. Um, I have three older brothers who do not have muscular dystrophy, um, so it was a big new thing, new challenge for the family. Um, but uh, I didn't use a wheelchair for a while. I can still um, walk around some like in my apartment, um, but strength issues and balance issues being what they are. I use a motorized scooter uh, to get around most places. I have a lift in the back of my minivan. And um, yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. 
accessible vans are really handy. They are. They are. I sometimes when I'm unloading and doing stuff, um, I, I live in New York and um, some people will stop and, and ask, you know, where I got it done because they know somebody who, who might need it. And, uh, you know, it's not something you see a ton of in the city itself because a lot of people get around all kinds of different ways. But um, the accessibility of subways here is not always the greatest for wheelchair users. So <laughs> uh, it's really handy having the car with the lift. Yeah, I imagine so. Well, at least you don't have to walk then. Exactly. <laughs> you know, if it's a few blocks away, at least you don't have to walk. Yeah. What was it like for you growing up? Um, it was it was interesting. I when I was very young, you know, I still I hadn't met anyone else yet who had muscular dystrophy or, or really any disability. Um, and it was more just my my family, my brothers, my parents, um, and extended family. You know, treating me like anybody else, you know, maybe I needed some extra help grabbing uh, the ball from the ground when we were, you know, playing catch or what have you. Um, and everyone around me in school also at that young age was, you know, um, I wouldn't say they were supportive, but they, they didn't look at me, you know, any differently. Um, but we moved when I was in fifth grade. And uh, that was when I first realized that something was actually sort of, you know, different from me and the other kids. Like, I always knew that I that I walked differently. I walk on uh, my toe on my one foot. Um, and it was very noticeable to these new kids who never had anyone like me around before. Um, and I found out sometime later that the teacher actually had a, a talk with the students before I got there um, to make sure that they kind of knew that I was coming and make sure they didn't, um, you know, roughhouse with me on the playground or any of that sort of stuff. And I think that sort of made it even weirder coming into a situation like that, because of course, these kids, they're 10 years old, they have no idea, you know, what what this is all about. Um, so it was a really uh, eye opening experience. I wasn't, you know, uh, bullied or anything like that. But it was definitely a um, staring situation when I got there, which was kind of uncomfortable. Um, but it was, uh, you know, just kind of making my way as, as best I could and um, adapting things like getting to leave class a little early so that I had the time to, at that point, walk from, you know, from the classroom to the lunchroom or, or um, do stairs at a very slow pace with, with an aide that I had at the school. Um, and that continued through middle school. And it wasn't until um, high school that I started using the motorized scooter because the high school was enormous. Um, and so it was, uh, it was an interesting time in high school because a lot of people knew me as the scooter girl <laughs> but didn't actually know my name or anything else about me uh just you know obviously my close friends uh and they would see me leaving class uh early and then say oh good class is almost over we know that we see the scooter girl in the uh in the hallway you know which is a very weird weird thing to be known for i think that sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Who wouldn't want to be known as Scooter Girl? You make that into a comic book. Yeah. Oh, and also, of course, everybody wanted to take rides on the back of the scooter, too, in the hallway. Yeah, I get that one, too. Yeah. <laughs> I always tell them there's a weight limit. Yeah. <laughs> what adaptations have you made to the world around you? I know you've mentioned the power scooter, but is there any other adaptations you've had to make? Um, not too much at home. I have a, um, grab bar that was installed in our, in our shower, our bathroom, 
Um, I have a uh, grabber, so if something drops on the floor, uh, since I can't bend, I, you know, can pick things up like that. Um, but I would say everything else is just sort of um, little things like putting the plate that I know I'm going to use on the lower shelf, you know, of the cabinet or that sort of thing, um, just to make things slightly easier for where they're placed and um, the kind of weight that I can handle with my arms and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, mostly b- besides that, and then the the car, obviously, with the um, with the lift in the back, that's been most of my most of my adaptations. Um, I'm still getting on my parents at their house to uh, get on an actual ramp because their house has become less accessible to me over the years. Um, but uh, they always help me out when I get over there anyway. What is your relationship like with your parents? It's really good. Uh, they were always very loving and, and um, you know, if I had questions growing up, they were, they were open about, you know, talking about things. But there was a lot that I, you know, didn't want to talk about when I was younger, too. You know, I was just um, dealing with my own, I guess, teenage angst and that, and that sort of thing. But uh, they've always just been very supportive of, of everything I want to do. And, you know, never once did, did they say that, you know, anything I was speaking about or asking to do, you know, they never said, you can't do that, you know, which was a, a really helpful thing, I think, growing up and not something that I necessarily um, was aware of until I was grown, um, that that kind of language was not, you know, used. Um, but they were they were always there for me and and having me have a uh experience whether it was in school or hanging out with my friends that was just like you know my brothers had when they were growing up so that was good it's fantastic who inspires you or who do you look up to um besides my mom <laughs> uh i would say and this is, you know, the geek in me um, coming out, but I uh, am very much into superheroes. And as cheesy as it sounds, um, a character like Batman has always been a big inspiration to me. Um, you know, he's one of those heroes who obviously does not have superpowers. He's just working with what he's got. Um, and when I was growing up, thinking about superheroes there was a lot of oh maybe one day i'll wake up and i'll have you know superpowers or or, you know something like that and that could help me in the situation that i'm in even if i'm still disabled if i could uh you know lift things with my mind that would help a lot you know um but as i got older and and grew out of that that sort of thing it was more inspiring to me to look at the heroes that were making strides just as who they they were absolutely i understand the batman thing too i completely get it that batman is just a person and that he overcomes his personness to try to make the world a better place Mm -hmm. and you know uses his smarts and his gadgets and his billions of dollars (laughs) (laughs) which would be nice to have too (laughs) yes yes that that would be nice but yeah i understand 
Well, I imagine you're living the dream now, but if you could have any job, if education, cost, or physical ability were not a factor, but just pure enjoyment, what would you most like to do? Um, I've, for a long time, wanted to work with animals, um, which is not something that's, you know, out of, out of the scope of reality right now, but I, you know, I'm in a completely different career. Um, but that was the other thing that I had really liked the idea of growing up, um, being a vet or working with animals in some way. Um, I sort of, uh, leaned away from the veterinarian thing as I got older because I, uh, you know, realized the other things that would come into play with a job like that is to actually like not hurt animals, but, you know, have to do surgeries and do all these other things. And I didn't think that my fragile heart could take, you know, doing that. Um, but I think working at like a zoo or something would be really, really interesting. Um, I have obviously gone to zoos many times in my life. And um, a fun, interesting thing is that sometimes when you go by the big cat exhibits, um, if you're in a motorized chair, they kind of get really excited like your prey basically because they see something moving that's not on two legs and uh so there's been many times where i've been at a zoo and and there's been a, a lion or a tiger or some other giant cat that's walked right up to you know the closest glass that they have there to kind of stare at me and uh that kind of thing is is really exhilarating and i i just love animals so much and so to be able to do something like that without um potentially getting eaten would be really great <laughs> to me that sounds terrifying I'm like it's wounded get it yeah it sounds awful <laughs> to each their own yeah. <laughs> what brings you joy um my my friends um sharing in their joy and i have two cats my cats bring me a lot of joy um especially on on days if I'm stressed out or anything even if I can just go and give them some calm pets uh that really that really makes me happy um and just seeing people be themselves and and succeed in in what they want to be in their lives that that really makes me happy what do you consider the biggest challenge you've had to overcome hmm Biggest not challenge. getting eaten by a cat. Right. <laughs> Luckily, that did not happen. Um, wow. I feel like there's been a lot. <laughs> um, I'd say probably, I'm not sure if this would be the biggest, but the one thing that comes to mind right now is um, going and, and living at college and making it through four years there after being so dependent on my family for so long um when i was in high school of course i was a regular teenager and hated everything and wanted to get out of the house and be independent um and once i actually left for school and i didn't go to school too far away from home but i was you know staying there in dorms i realized the um the gravity of of that sort of situation and um, being around a bunch of people who never um, knew a, a person with a disability and and didn't know what my personal limitations were or how comfortable I might be with uh, joking around about things, 
um, and just the day to day of, well, I have to make sure I'm up. I have to make sure I'm showered. I have to make sure I'm getting to class on time um, and make sure that, uh, you know, just all the, the usual adult stuff that comes with with that kind of experience um and it was definitely definitely challenging and um but not not an experience that i you know would have wanted to give up it very very much was important and shaped me what do you consider your biggest accomplishment um probably at this point in my life i'd say my greatest accomplishment was um being the editor-in-chief of the Mary Sue. Um, I started there as technically an, an intern, a paid intern, um, which was more of a trial period, was then associate editor and worked my way up to, to editor-in-chief and managed the site through a um, very large merger with another site. And um, it was uh, extremely stressful and, and challenging. Um, but I was very proud of the work that we were doing there and, um, being able to lift up other people's voices, um, you know, besides the staff who are also very great, um, but lift up our freelancers and I'll give them a platform for which to, you know, showcase their talent and their unique perspective on the world. So how did you get started at the Mary Sue being an intern? What was that process like? I just want to hear more about it. Sure. Uh, so I was doing my site, The Nerdy Bird, for a while. Um, and I started reaching out to other sites at the time. Um, I, I kind of didn't realize early on that writing about pop culture was a career path. You know, when I went to school, I was going to be a, you know, a regular news anchor type person telling the news, you know, at at five o'clock at night um and so i didn't know this is really uh, a thing but i started to you know i had my own reports on the site and so i sent them out to other websites and um got some feedback and was able to start freelancing at other sites um and was doing that steadily for a while and had so many freelance opportunities that I was able to leave my other job at the time in radio and take this on as sort of like a full-time freelance thing but um, the more I did that, the more challenging I realized it was to make sure that you were actually, you know, making a living at that sort of thing, because you not only have to pitch stories, and then you have to research and write, and then make sure you're invoicing and checking in on invoices to make sure you're getting paid and making sure that you have a certain amount of money coming in every month. Um, so it's not easy. So I was, at the time, uh, Twitter had been around for a little bit, and I was talking about how you know, I would really like a full-time job doing this somewhere. And so if anybody knew of any openings to let me know. And um, the creator of the Mary Sue, Susanna Polo, at the time reached out to me and she said, well, how about a paid internship? And it didn't quite seem like, you know, what I was looking for at the time, but considering I had other work that I was doing, um, it was something that I was going to consider. And so I wound up going in for an interview and that's when they told me, you know, it's not so much an uh, internship. It's kind of a trial period for a few months until we make sure we have, you know, the right person. Um, and then that person would come on as our next full-time staffer for the site. Um, so that's that's how I got in there. And it was really great because I, I'd only heard of it here or there before um, the website. And I got there and there was two full-time writers on the site at that time, uh, Susanna and another writer, Jamie. 
and uh, it was a fun time to help them grow. And um, you know, it was there was a lot of geek girl stuff out there at the time, but nothing as centralized as this, and with such a unique voice. Um, and so it was really great to be a part of and, and help build up, you know, to what it's become today. This must be a big year for you then, you know, well, it's a big year for all of us. Wonder Woman came out <laughs> next year. We're getting Ant-Man and the Wasp. And then after that, we're getting Miss Marvel. Like we're getting places. It, yeah. You know, it's, I mean, I've, I've written for years. It's funny because the fact that, uh, we're just seeing these things now is the fruition of so many years of talking about it <laughs> and talking about why it's not there yet. Um, you know, I still like, I think, I mean, Captain Marvel is still so far away compared to how many other Marvel films we've gotten um, by this point. I still don't understand why it's taken them so long to get Captain Marvel I know. out. I don't know what they're doing. I know, you know, I mean, I, I, I understand the... Obviously, they had huge success with with Captain America, Iron Man, and Thor. Um, and I guess they just said, "Well, we know this works, so we're just going to keep doing it for now," you know. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been an interesting year. I mean, Wonder Woman was one of those things that, gosh, was so long overdue um, and built up <laughs> built up in such a way that when I was sitting in the theater, um, all I could think was, "Please." please let this be good, you know, because there was so much sort of more pressure on a project like that. Not only that it was a female character, but it had, you know, a female director and the kind of things that come along with being kind of in that first position where if you fail, someone may not get another chance like that for a long time. Um, and when the movie was over and I, you know, I enjoyed it, I had a really great time. Um, I let out this big breath that I didn't know I was holding, you know, because it was like, oh my God, we don't have to worry anymore. It was good. It was legitimately good. <laughs> yeah, I really wanted that movie to be good, and I was excited about it. My main concern for the entire movie was that Zack Snyder had a story credit. Right, right, And yeah. that made me very nervous. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I'm with you there. So, <laughs> so the, uh, the man should not be allowed to write. Anyway, <laughs> I think he, his action, you know, is very good. But I think he well, I think he he also has a very different um, perspective on superheroes than most of us. You know, he's his Superman, you know, so serious and so like the opposite of everything I've ever thought of Superman, you know. Um, and, you know, I mean, that's that's his that's his perspective. And some people like that. They like the the darker, more serious things I like more fun and hopeful with a splash of you know a serious villain who is actually going to do harm you know and the hero can overcome them and and still be hopeful and still inspire people yeah the man of still superman you call him dark and serious I call him boring <laughs> <laughs> is what I would call him it just I, doesn't seem to have a personality yeah and I think you know a lot of that was missing because we didn't I mean not that you have to do a lot of um Clark's childhood but they did some of that and it was it was just very well you know the whole hiding your powers thing and and like just don't use them and don't help people which was like what you know that's so I pa Kent don't don't say that you know <laughs> 
And of course, as someone who who does, you know, um, journalism, I also would have liked to see him be more of a reporter as well, instead of go from fisherman to reporter. <laughs> it's really easy. It's a really easy transition <laughs> from catching fish to writing very serious stories yeah. about a guy beating up people in Gotham. Mm-hmm. Re- really easy transition. Yep. You know, required no education. <laughs> he only got hired because he's the fastest typist Perry White had ever seen. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> How do you think people see you? Hmm. Um, I would hope on, on the whole that, that people see me as a positive person. I, you know, as bad as things can get and as bad as things are maybe right now in the world, um, I still try to stay positive and, and um, you know, be kind to people and hopefully that is a um positive influence on others to to act the same way you know especially online there's so much of uh negative 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 you know and it's it's totally easy to fall into that um and especially when there's trolls and this and that i i try you know on the whole not to uh engage with trolls and i can spot them from a mile away you know but sometimes i I will point one out and just, you know, casually, not, not, you know, go down to their level, just casually point them out and say, look at what's in the world. Don't be like that, you know. <laughs> I see you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is another person on the side of the keyboard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say at the pearly gates? Yes, you can bring all your cats. that's awesome that's awesome (laughs) my family has had cats since i was born like they literally got a cat right before i was born and so i've been surrounded by them in my entire life and i would love to be reunited with all of them in heaven but uh unless you want to talk about more nerdy stuff i believe i'm done okay (laughs) (laughs) i really appreciate this this was a lot of fun yeah you're welcome Special thanks to Jill for being on this episode of Ability, and thank you for listening. You can follow Jill on Twitter at Jill Pantosi. You can follow me on Twitter at the Jacob Holt, and you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Ability Podcast. You can also like us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Ability Podcast. If you have a quick moment, please rate and review the show on iTunes. It really helps out. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, keep on rolling.